As we read our Bible, sometimes we get what's called a prophetic preview or a double prophecy. When Daniel wrote his famous book, he gave us a prophecy about a coming world leader that would arrive some 400 years after Daniel wrote. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes. He foreshadows the coming Antichrist. Many incredible parallels, both prophetic to Daniel's time, the coming Antichrist, future to our time. We'll learn more about this intriguing prophecy today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. This Antiochus Epiphanes character who foreshadows a coming Antichrist grew up to the host of heaven, verse 10, caused some of the host and some of the stars, referencing Israel here, to fall to the earth and trampled them down. He killed many people. It, the horn, representing Antiochus, even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, that's Jesus, removed the regular sacrifice from him. The place of his sanctuary was thrown down. He stopped the sacrifice in the temple. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. He brought the Zeus Olympus statue into the holy place, had his own face put on it, and uh, did these terrible things. And on account of transgression, verse 12, the host will be given over to the horn. Many people did die, along with the regular sacrifices that he stopped. It, the horn, will fling truth to the ground and perform, uh, and perform its, its will and prosper. The treacherous horn will throw truth to the ground. It just strikes me that that's what's happening in our day. If you can dismiss truth, if you can mock the Bible, if you can set aside Christians and Christianity, if you can marginalize and get it out of the public square, then you can accomplish your will because once you dismiss God and the creator and the scriptures, now what have you got left? You've got secularism, humanism, and you can kind of have your way with it. And so this is what's been happening. Some of you who can think about, you know, how people have talked about what's happened over the decades, prayer, you know, out of schools, the Bible no longer welcome in the schools. We hear stories of Bibles confiscated in schools. And, you know, you can show up with just about anything in a school, but you show up with a Bible, look out, they're going to take it away from you. They can't have that. Christian holidays being set aside in the public school system and on and on it goes. Because the truth is a threat to the father of lies, who's the enemy, the devil. And there are some people who look at Antiochus Epiphanes and who he was and believe he was even demon-possessed, like many people believe that Adolf Hitler was demon-possessed. And there are stories about Adolf Hitler messing with the occult and, you know, dark things around his life and his, his hypnotic cadences when he spoke to the German people and his final solution and his hatred of the Jews and so forth. You see, we have to see a common thread with all these world empires that all of them oppose the Jewish people from Egypt all the way down to Rome at different levels and different ways with different expressions of it, but a common target, the Jewish people. And why? Because there's a cosmic battle. There's something behind the veil of what you see that is spiritual in nature. There's a spiritual war, you guys. 
And it has really set the course of human history. And when you understand human history and you understand what's happened to the Jewish people, there's only one explanation. There is a being named Satan who absolutely hates the Jewish people, hates the church, and wants to destroy it. But he can't win. He's already a defeated foe, praise the Lord. Then I heard a holy one, 13, speaking, and another holy one, I take it angels here, uh, said to the particular one who was speaking, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? Remember, Antiochus did what he did in the 160s BC and Daniel's writing in the 500s BC about 400 years before Antiochus ever lived. The Bible predicted the details of a Syrian ruler who would go in the temple, do what he did. Not only that, but it predicted the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire and its dominance and Alexander the Great before it ever happened. The Bible is inspired by God. And prophecy is one of the major proofs of that. And so the angels are talking and they say, well, how long? Uh, how long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply? How long will it go on? While the transgression causes horror, how long will this horrific time uh, transpire? So as to allow both the holy place, which Antiochus desecrated, and the host, that's the people of God, to be trampled. How long will it go on? Toward the end of two weeks ago, we saw this 2,300 evenings and mornings. I gave you two major views I wanted to mention to you that there's something that happened in the recent past that happened in Seventh-day Adventism that you might find of interest. And it goes with the predictions of the end of the world that have happened in Jehovah's Witnesses, in Seventh-day Adventism, but even in Christian circles. There have been uh, men who have gone on Christian radio. Uh, some of you can think about just in the past five years, there was a particular pastor on a Christian radio network that was predicting the return of Christ in October of what, what was it, back-to-back -back years that he did this, or he did it within a very tight window. And, you know, he's got a pretty bad batting average. He's over, just like the rest of the people that have picked dates for the return of Christ. They're not doing well. They should just stop. And finally, the, the president of Jehovah's Witnesses came out and said, we should just stop making prophecies about the end of the world and the return of Christ. Yes, you should. Yes, you should. Adventism, which came out of the second great awakening, the great uh, second Advent awakening, did the same thing. They were called the Millerites, and they predicted the end of the world, the return of Jesus Christ. And they had a... a you know, a system for doing this. And they, they took the date when uh, the uh, command was given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And they think that was 457. And so then they, they picked a date in the 1800s and they were wrong. And I think it was 1843. And then they picked 1844 and they were wrong again. And this is, this is Seventh-day Adventism. And now today, there are many what we might call evangelical expressions of Seventh-day Adventism. Sometimes Seventh-day Adventism is a bit of an enigma. But Ellen G. White, who is, you know, a leader along the way, made a bunch of false prophecies as well. And she's widely read by a lot of people. 
It doesn't mean that everything she said was wrong, but whenever you make a prophecy and set a date for the return of Christ and people start to plan around it and think it's going to come to pass, you are on very shaky ground. Just don't do it. Jesus did give us signs of the season, but he said nobody knows the day or the hour. So we have to be careful. So Daniel, with all of this coming at him in a vision, probably being you know, taken in the spirit to the Uli Canal and Susa and all that happened. Well, Daniel, when he had seen the vision, verse 15, he sought to understand it. We can, we can understand why. And behold, standing before him was one who looked like a man. Daniel wanted to know. You wake up from a, a very incredible vision like this or a very graphic dream, you want to understand it. You want to know. What's interesting is Daniel had the ability to interpret dreams, remember? Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 5. He interpreted the writing on the wall, but he didn't seem to be, able to be able to do it by just command. He didn't seem to have the gift of interpretation just abiding on him. It was revelation that God gave to him in certain circumstances when he needed it. Of course, he needed it when Nebuchadnezzar was able, was uh, wanting to kill all the wise men in his kingdom. And they had a prayer service that night. And they said, oh, Lord, please give the interpretation to the dream. But not only does he want the interpretation, he wants me to tell him what he dreamt. Help. The only way that you can get information like that is if the God of heaven supernaturally re reveals it to you. And you can take no credit for that. And Daniel and Joseph would not. Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to the Lord? See, Daniel, even though he could do this for others, when he had his dream, he didn't automatically know the full meaning of the dream. And I will tell you that whatever spiritual gift or gifts you have, make sure that you understand the origin of those gifts. A man would have nothing unless it first been given to him from heaven. Whatever your spiritual gift or gifts are, make sure you understand they come from God. He distributes the gifts as he wills, as the Holy Spirit wills. And so we need to be careful that we don't, you know, think that we've arrived because we have a certain gift or it's different from somebody else. And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of the Uli. That's the canal we saw last time. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man understanding of the vision. <laughs> I don't know if he said it that way. Gabriel, give this man some understanding. Now, I don't know if that's, that's how angels talk to one another. I don't think it is. But, but here's what's going on. Daniel wants to understand. He sees this man there. He's, he hears dialogue going on. And it would appear that an angel could have been Michael, because Michael's going to come up more in the book of Daniel. Maybe Michael said to Gabriel, hey, Gabe, <laughs> help, help a brother out. Help Daniel. He wants to know what's going on, right? Don't you think that God wants us to understand his word? I think he does. We have to be careful when it comes to prophecy. We have to do our homework when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth. But I don't think that God wants you in the dark when it comes to his will his, the doors he wants to open for you, what direction he wants you to go tonight. Some of you are struggling with that. And maybe he's asking you to wait or he's asking you to study harder or whatever it may be. But Daniel wanted to understand 
And, you know, the New Testament indicates that even the angels don't understand everything. But an angel said to Gabriel, and by the way, this is the first mention of Gabriel in the Scripture. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. I don't think that God wants you in the dark when it comes to his will, his, the doors he wants to open for you, what direction he wants you to go tonight. Some of you are struggling with that. And maybe he's asking you to wait or he's asking you to study harder or whatever it may be. But Daniel wanted to understand. And, you know, the New Testament indicates that even the angels don't understand everything. But an angel said to Gabriel... And by the way, this is the first mention of Gabriel in the scripture. Give this man an understanding of the vision. So who's Gabriel? Well, his name means man of God or God's hero. We know he's an angel because he shows up in the Gospel of Luke in Luke 119 and Luke 126. He appears to Zacharias in the temple to announce the birth of John. And, a, and he also uh, shows up in Mary's life and he says, he greets her and he tells her what's going to happen, that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. The Gabriel, the I-E-L ending or the E-L ending is, is God. And so the name, usually with that, that E-L ending, you're going to have something about God. Here, it's God's hero or man of God. You have Michael, it's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. This, this, this archangel Michael, really cool guy, really cool angel, <laughs> right? Anyway, he's got the E-L ending, and his name means one who is like God. And there's only one other angel named by name in the Bible, although we believe there's probably millions, perhaps even billions of angels, and the last one named in the Bible is Lucifer whose name means light bearer. Then he takes on the name Satanus or Satan, uh, Diabolos or the devil. There's several names that are attributed to him. And we know him to be a fallen angel. So interestingly enough, with all the revelation we have in 66 books of the Bible and stories about angels, we only have three angels that are named. In Jewish writings, there are other angels that are named, but we don't know if they're legitimate because they're extra biblical writings. So we don't know if they're actually, you know, accurate or not. But it is interesting to note that Gabriel is the one who is encouraged to give understanding to Daniel. Uh, 
God is my judge. Daniel also has the E-L ending on his name at the end of his name. And so Gabriel responds. So he came near, Gabriel did, to where I, Daniel, was standing, verse 17. And when he came, I was frightened and I fell on my face. Now, I know that there, are, there have been angel stories. Uh, we've had angel stories from missionary encounters where they describe these soldier-like beings radiating light. And we do know that when Gabriel appears in the New Testament, there's people that are scared because angels, here we go, are real shiny. See, I am Gabriel, and I hang out in the presence of the Lord, and since he's real shiny, I'm real shiny. You see, whoever you spend time around, that's what you reflect. Amen? Bad company corrupts good morals, and good company instructs good morals, encourages good morals. And here's an angel who is in the presence of God, who's come down now. Uh, you know, angels are ministering spirits. Hebrews 1, they come to uh, minister to those who will inherit salvation. So we do have some interesting angel stories and missionary records, and maybe you have an angel story as well. But he came near where I was standing. I was frightened. Daniel falls on his face, and this is just an angel. Imagine if you, you had an encounter with the living God. But he said to me, son of man, that's, that's not a title for Jesus here. That's a title for uh, Daniel. Understand the vision pertains to the time of the end. You want to know? You want to know what you've seen, what it means? And Daniel had to be thinking, does this mean that my people are going to be persecuted again? Daniel's in Babylonian captivity He's going to find out from the book of Jeremiah that it's going to be 70 years in length. And we'll study that as we move into chapter 9 and 10. And so Daniel has to be thinking, no, not again. Can't this be the final time that you have to spank my people? But what he's seeing in the vision is that another world leader, namely a Syrian who comes out of the Grecian Empire, is going to dominate and destroy many who come from Daniel's line. And that's why Daniel probably is as concerned as he is. Imagine if you had a dream about future generations of uh, Americans or people within your own family and you saw something frightening in the future that was going to happen to them. Would you be concerned? Of course you would. What if you got a vision of, you know, the world in 200 years from now and, and it was a staggering, frightening reality and maybe you saw in the vision people who were being hurt or abused or even killed. That's what Daniel saw. It was very graphic, very uh, sobering. And so the angel tells him, Daniel, this, this is about the time of the end. The time of the end could be debated because people say the, the end of what? <laughs> Well, when we see the end in the Bible, what do we think of? When we hear the end of the age, what do you think of? You think of the end of this age of time. Some, some people who are in different camps in the study of end times, what's called eschatology, say, well, it's the end of the Jewish age, or it's the end of this or that. But normally when we see the end here, uh, we can think of the end of the world or the end of this particular age that the return of Christ will wrap up. 
And I do think that you need to understand that there's a near-far fulfillment. Remember, the near fulfillment, even though it's far, maybe some three, four hundred years from Daniel's time, is Antiochus Epiphanes, who's going to do what he does in the 160s, but Daniel's living in the 500s. But remember, in a prophetic preview, there's a second layer. And Antiochus also foreshadows, he casts a shadow of a coming world leader who will do similar things to what Antiochus did back in his day. In fact, Jesus talks about an abomination that causes desolation in Matthew 24, 15. And Jesus lived from whatever the, the actual birth date is. Some people say 4 to 6 B.C., Jesus probably died between 30 and 33 A.D., maybe a little bit earlier. Remember, Jesus lives after Antiochus Epiphanes. Jesus is not talking about Antiochus in Matthew 24. Antiochus has lived and died. By the way, Antiochus died going cuckoo. And he also simultaneously had a bowel disease, which also happened to Herod where he was struck by an angel, eaten by worms, and died. So God has ways to get to you <laughs> when you mess with his people. And so while he was talking with me about this stuff pertaining to the end times, D Daniel says, verse 18, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and he made me stand upright. I, I don't know if this was, you know, escape from the brightness of the angel and just, it's too much for one day. Come on. I, I, got, I got visions of end time stuff. I got angels talking. Give a brother an understanding, Gabriel. Gabriel's real shiny. Man, I got to go to sleep. Pulled the covers over his head. I don't know what happened. But he gets, he gets touched. Stand up. Get up, just like Peter when he's woken up by the angel in that angelic jailbreak in the book of Acts. And he said, behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation. If you have an NIV, it says the later time of wrath. For it pertains to the appointed time of the end. Have you ever wanted to know something and then thought, maybe I don't want to know that? <laughs> have you ever been intrigued about a subject Maybe some of you are just starting to study prophecy and you're like, oh, the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, yeah, can't wait. And then you leave and you go, you know, <laughs> wow, right? Because some of it's heavy and some of it's sobering and maybe that's where Daniel was. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. Don't have to guess about the interpretation. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece. Still a couple hundred years in the future from Daniel's time. The large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns. Remember, Alexander is the first king, verse 21. He dies at 33, tragically. Four generals take over. I described those uh, world empires for you. We've, we focused tonight on the Seleucid and Ptolemaic dynasties, but they come out of the four. They arose in its place to represent the four kingdoms, which will arise from his nation, from Greece. Syria uh, grew out of that. Although not with his power, these other kingdoms were not as strong as Greece. And so this is what's being described. And in the latter period of their rule, 
when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise. Now we're focusing back on Antiochus, insolent and skilled in intrigue. A king shall arise having fierce features, New King James, fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. See, the throne for Syria was not supposed to go to Antiochus Epiphanes. He actually, if I remember correctly, stole the throne from his nephew. He was sinister. He was a man of intrigue, a man with fierce features, an angry face, that kind of thing, a sinister, scary type of individual. And he foreshadows a coming ruler who will be Antichrist or the Antichrist. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. As Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story. And Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH and we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.